Cheers. Cheers. everybody. To the gold phone. The direct line to go. The direct line to the acquittal process. The direct. Well, I, I was joking. I, I said nobody ever mentions the gold phone in the background, which, as as I would have you know, is a direct line to God. And that's a gift from a former client, and it's really adorable. It is, but but then I got I got thinking because I, I I run this nonprofit, you know, for the falsely accused and wrongfully convicted, and a lot of the messages I get. I swear they think I have a direct line to God. <laughs> and this is like, it doesn't uh, actually work. There's not even a chord actually on there. It's so sad. And it does so, not act that way. But yeah. like recent events, there was basically a, a really big high profile um, conviction overturned down in the U.S. That Not quite overturned. Yeah. Well, no, the conviction was overturned, but he wasn't exonerated. Yeah, it's kind of okay. He's, so this is well, the United he's on States. House arrest for thirty so, days. So the concept for a, for a moment for this episode is about wrongful convictions, but in the murder murder area, which is not something we've covered extensively. But we've done a lot of murder cases, and I think it's something that deserves a real good look right now. The U.S. cases is wonderful. We're going to come back to something about uh, you know wrongful convictions in Canada, but this is a great example, and I want you to take the lead on this. And how long it takes. Yeah, and we got to give serious kudos. We're not riding on their coattails. Great podcast about this. Yeah, so I had actually listened to this entire podcast. It's called Serial. It's still yeah. available online. Uh, Sarah Koenig is the journalist who, who did it. And so people advocating for Adnan Syed had taken his case to her and asked if she was interested in it. She was in the Baltimore area. Yes. This is in Maryland. And uh, so she became interested in it. And so her podcast basically was her investigation being given full access to all of the material that was in disclosure that was available for the appeals. And at this point when she got involved, which I think was 2014, he had already lost uh, a number of appeals. And the appeals process, like in Canada, is much more simple. You have, depending on the level of court, um, limited numbers of appeals. But down in the States, you can have like, I've seen like, like five or six different levels of appeal. So in this case, he actually finally won an appeal just before the podcast happened, but then it got overturned on it, yeah. the Crown's second appeal. So it Don't got the prosecutor. Oh, sorry, the prosecutor. The Crown yeah. is in Canada. Yeah. The United States is the prosecutor. I know. I'm <laughs> so used to saying Crown. So, but, um, so the reason that this conviction got overturned was not actually due to an appeal. It was due to some new legislation that allowed for him to apply for a reduced sentence. But first of all, uh, we should kind of give an overview of what yeah, let's, the case let's, against so him is. So this was a gentleman who, uh, on February 25, 2000, Adnan Saeed was found guilty of murdering his ex-girlfriend. He was sentenced to life imprisonment, despite the fact that there was no physical evidence tying him to the murder. And um, the girlfriend who was... Ex-girlfriend. The deceased. Uh, yeah, who was the deceased, was 18 at the time of her death. Hi, Minley, which I, I think it's good to say her name because she's a person who, who lost her life. And and that's a big factor playing into this as well. Yeah, as, and I want to be sensitive. Like, yeah. you know, the, the victim's family is Wants very closure. much a part. They, they want closure. They're very much a part of this process. They have a right to be part of the process. And, you know, uh, her name is Hi Min Lee. And uh, we have lots of... Uh, you know, uh, sympathy for the family because this is very traumatic for them. But what we need to focus on right now to get to any point of truth is 
why this was a flawed conviction. And there was some strong language used. The prosecutors asked for the conviction to be vacated. And they and said, again, I just say this as a caveat. We're not experts in U.S. criminal law, although it's inferior to our system here in Canada. Yeah, but the prosecutors used some pretty strong language saying that this it was is. a failure of the justice system and it should not have gone to trial, like yeah. given the, the cumulative problems with the evidence in the case. Did but at the, at, at the time, he lost his appeals and... And the prosecutor who had actually been involved in, in the prosecution of this case still stands by the convictions. And in spite of the fact that there was exculpatory evidence yeah. of two potential suspects who had animus and motive to kill, which was not disclosed to the defense. Right. So this is an interesting thing on um, uh, the seriously great work done by the prosecutor who was asked to... Um, assess whether or not he could have his sentence reduced, and, and just to explain you mean that now, yeah, but that's that those now. were not disclosed. We just found out because of the work done by this this current prosecutor. Right. So we, yeah. You're con you're commending the attorney general's office and the prosecutor assigned to look at this now, as opposed to the idiots who did it back then. Right, and so in the states, a failure to disclose is called a Brady violation. And uh, there's an obligation for the Crown to turn over all evidence, whether it's the inculpatory, <laughs> I'm going to keep making that mistake, or, or exculpatory, meaning whether it's, yeah. it tends to show guilt or it tends to and, show And innocence. let me just say this. We're not immune in Canada to wrongful murder convictions no. and, and bad evidence, but they're really good at it in the United States. <laughs> because the stats are, you know, there's an overwhelming amount of black Americans who are wrongfully convicted of murder cases in the United States. They win the f medal for doing this. Yeah, and, and I've actually got a printout with some of the statistics from the yeah, states. All you know, you know, when there's a murder, when there's a f***ing murder case in the United States, there's a press release, there's the prosecutor Let's involved, the in police. The Let's try it in the media. Let's jerk off on the on all the evidence before even a jury is you know picked. It's insane how it goes about. But also, let's not gloss over the ineffective assistance of counsel in this particular case. Yeah, she had issues. She was a really good lawyer. Right. But she had been, there was yeah. a there was a health issue and uh, like I don't want to do that to her. I mean Well, no, but it is but There were some serious failures that that like one of the grounds of appeal earlier on was incompetent counsel and and yeah, when he temporarily that. won, it was on the grounds of incompetent counsel. Right, and the reason for that was she failed to develop uh, and meet with an alibi witness which is somebody important. who said so there was a very limited time frame that this murder could have been committed Correct. and so that was an important factor in the case that it was at the end of school and uh according to a person who says he got a phone call from um adnan saying come meet me and then was and then subsequently asked to help bury a body when this allegedly happened there was a very very short time frame and so one of the things they did on serial was they tried to, to actually drive that route at that time frame from the school and see if they could get there and how much time they would have to commit the murder. And it was tight. And then there was a, a witness the defense failed to call who said that she actually had seen Adan in the library at the school, which would have then reduced further reduced the amount of time he had but to commit the murder. But let's lay this out a little bit. And we're not stealing from the podcast series. Yeah. No, just trying to highlight the job amazing and, and people should go listen to the whole thing it, yeah. absolutely and the only reason we're raising this is about really there's wrongful convictions in the united states and canada 
And I want to talk a little bit about what happened here with Dr. Charles Smith and other stuff. But I think this is a great segue and an example of how you can have a myopic view, a tunnel vision, and just focus on one individual and convict them. So and that it took need... 23 years. 23 years, in, in a jail. very long yeah. time for this person to suffer in custody. So, you know, just let's lay it out a little bit so that everybody understands first. Yeah. Let's get there was a, of... a key prosecution witness that was a former, I'm going to say former friend of Adnan's who um, was involved in some drugs and he ended up agreeing to testify for the prosecution. Yeah. Was his ex, his former girlfriend killed? Yes, she absolutely, her body was found. Okay, so there were signs of strangulation and she was dumped, unfortunately, in an area which was a popular dumping ground for homicide victims. Uh, Only which in the States. <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to get people from the United States to go, you're a clown piece of shit, asshole only in the united states do you have common dumping grounds for bodies of homicide lincoln park not lincoln park which is lincoln park is a great bounce <laughs> which i have on my spotify yeah, and, <laughs> um, so lincoln park becomes really central because part of the evidence against him involved cell phone towers and their claim that the nearest cell phone tower was that that he was communicating with on a cell phone was in the area of lincoln park Right, but we have to also say the technology then is it's 23 years old, so it's different than it is now, but it's still complex. And you know, cell tower evidence with respect to radius where somebody may be and it's pinging off of a particular cell tower or another one doesn't really give you an exact point of reference as to where the accused might be vis a vis the victim. And one of the big concerns was the incoming calls as opposed to the outcoming calls. Right, explain that. So they consulted uh, uh, an expert, a modern expert, on cell phone, <laughs> on cell phone uh, evidence, you know, and the, the way the towers, you know, represent where somebody is, and and it's sent out to a number of towers and can ping off a bunch of different towers, especially for an incoming call, and you, you don't really know which tower is being used to hear the message. And and it's better. The evidence is better now. But you can have in dense urban populations, many towers in a certain area, and it's going to ping off a number of towers. So this was you're going to get a radius. 1999, too. So. What's interesting about that particular case, which is absolutely shocking uh, to me, I actually read the affidavit by the, uh, the expert who uh, you know, swore an affidavit, which was part of the reasons for granting the appeal and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. You can find it online. <clears throat> and he says, look, uh, I showed up for the first time uh, on the morning of the trial. I'm handed a document. Uh, I've never seen the document before. Um, and uh, I just, I testify to uh, to the document, to the information contained on the document, and so on and so forth. Which, pretty shitty evidence. I'm just know, basically pretty offering an interpretation of what the document says. Right, yeah. having never seen it, having you know, not, not prepared it, nothing. And having done trials in 1998, 99, 2000, we're not that shitty. No, not in the least. I, you know, I've dealt with a ton of cell phone evidence. Uh, from Which every... is why I feel there's so much false information in the United States, especially when it comes to 
people talking about false information in the United States who call me a clown when I say that the United <laughs> States is, is a perpetual... Well, there's a lot of competition between U.S. and Canadian you know, citizens as to whose system is better. False information. <laughs> right, but uh, it is, you know, I, I have to say... Joseph, never let people know what bothers you. <laughs> oh, sorry, am I expressing my feelings? No, because some I... asshole... From the United States, going, I'm a clown. Let them know. Oh, they're trolls. Sorry. Never let them know. I, I, I think, it, in fairness, in the United States, there are just a massive amount of murder, so it doesn't appear to be as, um, you know, as in depthly investigated, prosecuted in the sense of of preparation, uh, because we have so many fewer murders in Canada that when somebody's prosecuting for a murder uh you know the crown tends to meet with the experts and actually prepare things and and the people and talk to us and talk with all due respect and, and we've been on a fair amount of high profile murders yeah. and the prosecutors have invited us in we've been involved we have access to their experts we can meet with them we can talk with them you've done that well i will never cross-examine a, an expert without first speaking with them out of court beforehand, right? Like that's just and in murder cases, you've won on this basis. Yeah, in every yeah, no, it's just basic elementary. So the thought of some guy showing up, being a purported expert to give pretty important information, uh, receiving the document for the first time on the morning of trial, is absolutely shocking. And, and, and what was the main happened. theory of the prosecution in this case? Why he, he killed was, his uh, that he his was girlfriend. miffed because she broke up with him. He never got over her, and so when she started dating somebody else, he how cliche eventually just uh, you know reached a point where he he wanted to destroy her and, and uh, make a sure she could be happy. Yeah. A spurned lover with potential motive to murder. Yeah, and uh, so in in the U.S., the jury jury members can actually speak about their deliberation process afterwards. Yeah. So in this case, um, the cell phone evidence, actually, one of the jury members said that they understood because even the prosecutor said the evidence of this friend who said he got a phone call and literally helped bury the body, that the prosecutor admitted at trial that his evidence was had, had some issues. Okay, stop it. for a second. Explain this. Because they had a friend. Jay. <laughs> okay, no, f He's this. named in the podcast, Jay. Yeah, I mean, for God's sakes. Jay Wilds and and another person, Jennifer Pusateri, not connected to our really high profile, really great grocery store in Toronto. Uh, so is that the Law Society rules? I'm going to see if. <laughs> All right. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, motherfucker. Okay. So Pusateri told investigators that she received a call from Wilds on a day of Lee's disappearance from Saeed's phone. Wilds initially denied having anything to do with the situation, but later made a bombshell claim to police. He had helped Saeed bury Lee's body and get rid of her car. Jay Wilds refused to participate in the serial podcast, but agreed to be interviewed by The Intercept in 2014. The interview, he said that he lied to police because he was afraid of Saeed getting him in trouble for drug dealing. Right. Holy f so it, I Like, can you imagine... The police pressure some some guy about drug charges to give a false confession. Right, and he pretty much ended up with some this sort of sweetheart, sweetheart deal. They made false sure confessions. made sure that he had no consequences for what he was being told he was going to be prosecuted for. He was actually charged at the time 
um, that uh, he gave a statement and all those, and they resolved it all for him. The prosecutors did. So this was featured in the podcast. And if my recollection is correct, I think it is, and people can go watch and, ch- and check it. There is an episode in Serial where they, they actually have video of um, the interviews with Jay. And there is so much interference. The police are pretty much have a map in front of him. Pretty much have a map in front of him, pointing to him. And where did you the find... The videos have tap, where did you tap, find tap, the body? tap. <laughs> and he's being directed. Like Yeah. And his statement changed in terms of where he was when he got the phone call to come meet him or where it was he actually met... Um, uh, Adnan and is like every single time he said it, he, he got something slightly different. So the prosecutors at trial actually admitted there were serious flaws with the evidence of this. Uh, the only witness they had that could tie him to the murder so why whatsoever. Call him? It was the only thing they had. If you know that this is really false information, why f-ing call him? Well, this is why I think the Attorney General's office issued a statement saying that this was basically a, a prosecution that should never have taken place. And there's two other suspects that had motive, apparently. One, how f***ed up could this situation have been that there was two other suspects who had motive to kill this poor 18-year-old girl, leaving that aside, and they didn't disclose it to the defense? Is that a bad thing? What do you think? Just for technical stuff, though, we mentioned earlier in in the states that's called a Brady violation, which is you know a strong grounds of appeal, and it's, it's conceded. <laughs> uh, in Canada, it's called a stinch violation. It's called a f- up, really a bad f- up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the, called criminal, in my opinion. The the state's attorney uh, Marilyn Mosby says justice has prevailed with the outcome of today's hearing. They asked for a, a vacated conviction. After a nearly year-long investigation reviewing the facts of this case, my team successfully argued that Mr. Sayed... My team successfully argued. I know. Isn't that weird? God bless you, Attorney General. Successfully argued that Mr. Sayed deserves a new trial where he can be adequately represented and the latest evidence can be presented. Well, this is just one step in a long fight to make sure the legal system in Baltimore is fair and just for all. I want to reiterate to the residents of Baltimore that I will forever be committed to ensuring and pursuing justice and equality for all under the law, which includes victims, witnesses, accusers, and the accused. That's a great statement. If you're running for governor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and this is issued by the attorney general's office. It's printed from their website. And uh, they're clear that they're not asserting that he's innocent. Uh, the investigation remains ongoing. And they have uh, they have other suspects that they're looking into, and they point out that the reason it came to their attention was this new juvenile restoration act. So, if somebody is convicted when they're under the age of eighteen, so they're a youth, and he was only seventeen at the time of being charged and allegedly um, committing this act, say that slowly for the camera. So we're talking about a youth who's been in jail has to have been in jail. When for- was he convicted? He was convicted 2000. in 2000. It was, How old was he? He was 17 at the time he was charged. So probably 18, 19. It was a 1999 alleged. I, I think so 17 when charged. Was, she was killed. Yeah. And uh, so if they've served at least 20 years in prison. No, but he was 17 at charged and then given life imprisonment, which meant what? It was life plus 30 years, actually, because he was charged also with um, kidnapping. Uh, forcible confinement. So that's his natural life. Some sort of theft or something like that. I can't remember. That's his natural life, right? Essentially. And so he was only 17 years old. 
And he had to serve 20 years before he could access uh, the ability to ask Under the for new legislation. a reduced, yeah, new legislation. Because somebody uh, had a moment, maybe we shouldn't do this to somebody. Maybe we shouldn't put kids in jail for the rest of their life. Yeah. Well, but it's, yeah, it's only for a reduced sentence as opposed to looking at it. No, but at least you get to look at it. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's what brought it to their attention in the first place. And, uh, you know, there's... I mentioned the the prosecutor gave that statement and followed up, but there was a, an amazing person named Becky Feldman who was originally assigned to look at the case, and she used to be a um, public defender. But did, uh, sorry, did they start looking into the case before or after Serial published everything? This was after. God bless Serial. So, so you don't think it has more to do with Serial than it does with I think their it own played a role. review? Played a role. And that's that's really they encouraging. They wouldn't have given a shit if it wasn't yeah. for that podcast. Yeah, it's really encouraging for people who are advocating for, for uh, bringing you know, wrongfully social media. convicted people. But at the same time, you know, that podcast came out at 2014, and this just happened that his conviction was overturned for different not, reasons. It's not a sprint, so it's a marathon. It is a long haul. And that's this, this idea that people have that they can call the lighthouse or the Innocence Project and all of their problems will disappear and everybody will see the light. Easy to defend. And, yeah. you know, maybe a video comes out where people go, wow, there's like a lot of views on a YouTube video about a case. And they, they get overexcited. And it really makes me nervous when people get overexcited. I've had videos. I have one video that has over 2 million views on it. But, um, but that doesn't fix problems. And people need to understand that. That like this case had the, it was one of the most viral podcasts outside of probably making a murderer, but that only happens in the states, not in Canada, right? Yeah, the Canadian cases. Yeah, no, I mean you never attention. have, you never have in Canada people being convicted of murder, especially with respect to children, like babies with shaky, shaken, uh, shaky baby, baby syndrome, syndrome with Dr. Charles Smith. You, you never had that happen, right? So explain what Charles Smith. That that incident was because and it we was have kind to of credit fascinating John Struthers, yeah, who uh, is the former president of the Criminal Lawyers Association and a extremely uh, well known and very good criminal defense lawyer who, uh, frankly, had the eyes on Dr. Charles Smith for a very long time okay. that he was a lying, cheating piece of. Can I just interrupt for a second because I just. I think I, I forgot to finish what I was saying earlier. The jury member in um, who, who spoke said that um, that they had concerns with the the main witness, but that it was reinforced by the cell phone tower evidence, and so that's why they ended up convicting. Yeah, right. So the expert, Just, I forgot to was buttressed by that evidence, and which was not great at the time. But now we're segueing into Canada, and and do wrongful convictions ha happen here? And so you know, I was just touting John Struthers, who's a, an excellent criminal defense lawyer who had something uh, had really a good sense for an expert in Canada, a pathologist uh, dealing with uh, death of babies. Um, and a number of people were convicted for murder when in fact they were not guilty of murder and he had been lying and cheating. females as well. He had, females, yeah, yeah. yeah, women and men. Uh, he had been lying about, he'd been doctoring his reports lying for whatever psychopathic reason and john god bless him understood this guy was a lying cheating expert but the profound impact he had on our system 
and we are not immune in Canada from wrongful convictions in murder cases. They had to review every case that he worked on. Well, they had an inquiry into that, but just, just for an aside for a moment, we in Canada, we have a much smaller population and we're not as uh, insane in some respects as other jurisdictions, but let's say this. We're just this. crazy in different ways. Well, <laughs> you, know, we, we have, you know, we have very good projects here about looking into wrongfully convicted cases, AIDWIC, you know, the Innocence Project, et cetera. But we know from a study in 2019 from a criminologist that there have been well over 70 people convicted wrongfully of murder and then exonerated. But I think what's most profound, in my opinion, is where you have an expert called by the prosecution that overwhelms a jury and results in a conviction. And that is something we need to discuss for a moment because that's not going to go away. No. So there are limits and there's a pretty strong test on when experts are permitted to give testimony and on what they're permitted to testify about. And they can't actually give credibility assessments. Um, you know, if the expert is somebody talking about, uh, you know, how real victims would or would not behave or whatever, uh, people, psychologists' evidence is, is um, difficult. I mean, both Canada and the States had a massive, I would say, scandal, the satanic panic scandal about, uh, you know... Recovered, recovered memory. Recovered memories and so on. Mm -hmm. So there's certain kinds of evidence that are more suspect, but generally, Dr. Smith, you know, pathology and stuff like that, generally that's... Cause of death. Yeah, yeah cause this of death. Cause of death, yeah. which is a... You know, a phenomenal moment in Canadian history of absolute, unequivocal, travesty, false, false expert evidence yeah. that we swallowed up. Now, I did come across a similar case down in the States in Oklahoma of somebody they called Black Magic. And that was the nickname given to her by the prosecutors um, because she could actually tie whoever they favored as the accused person. She could find a way to tie the evidence. As it turns out, she was fudging everything. It was a massive scandal. Okay, and they, whatever. Similar let, thing, let, they had to review every single case. Look at look at the resources spent on that. Yeah. Right. When they have I, to I go mean, back I, and I review just be more every conviction. I want to just be more current. And Chris, maybe you can talk about this. But you know, the reality is the power of expert evidence, the power of expert evidence as to cause of death in a murder case. And we've done a much better job in Canada now uh, where the Center for Forensic Science is very good and there are checks and balances with respect to uh, pathology when it comes to the cause of death. And we're not idiots. We know how to get experts ourselves and how to assess it. But the power of expert evidence in wrongful convictions, that's really something we need to talk about more in Canada and in other jurisdictions, in murder cases and other cases. Um, no, as I said on a previous podcast, uh, the first question when it comes to uh, examining a murder case is the manner of death. You know, what was the cause? Uh, so the pathologist information is, you know, it's it centers around how you're going to build your defense um, and and take a look at you know how you're going to orient your own investigation 
So it's fundamental in, in our case. Do you cases. have concerns with DNA evidence? Because it's so sensitive now, the technology. Not in Canada. They, that you I can don't. get touch DNA and no, stuff no, like well, that? Well, That's not an issue? Two issues. Well, yeah, no. Uh, one, I have no concerns with the Center for Forensic Sciences in the manner in which once, you know, contamination within them. That they've done I, a great I, job with that. They've got a, a very good job. What you're discussing is uh, the issues regarding transference, which is becoming more and more of an issue as because the science, so the science behind DNA, can use smaller and smaller amounts of DNA. And I, I just had a case two weeks ago, the one I was telling you about. It was uh, possession of a firearm, and the officer who, you know, there was a firearm that was found in the trunk of a car. <clears throat> the officer popped open the trunk, you know, rifled through a bag, then also uh, took a swab of DNA at two, uh, two different places on the firearm, submitted it, eventually it came back to my client. My client was also in the car. But he had been injured. There was blood all over the car. The officer had searched the car prior to that. So there were all sorts of issues about contamination and transference of DNA that pre-dated once the sample was taken and sent it to the Center of Forensic Sciences. So there was no issues about it. But I convinced the Crown. You know, I, I I met with the biologist, spoke with her for, you know, about four hours, pre- prepared a memo, sent it to the Crown with all of the information, you know, the, the um, scientific literature about transference, about all of those things, to the Crown. Eventually the Crown you know, said, talk to your own biologist, right? She's going to say this, okay? And ultimately... The Crown simply withdrew the charge, recognizing they had no reasonable prospect of conviction based on <coughs> issues about transfer. So well, there was it a, is a serious yeah. issue. And there was a it's case a in the States where a homeless guy was um, being charged with murder. And I can't remember if he got convicted and had it overturned. But it turned out, uh, finally, he got this great like legal aid lawyer who, who realized and came across the Public information. Public defender. Public defender. That he was actually in the hospital at the time of the murder. And so somebody who had attended the scene to deal with the body had been in contact with him at the hospital and his DNA ended up on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's uh, if you touch, you know, if you touch this chair, uh, you may have DNA from, uh, you know, Marcy. Who never touched the this chair Marcy. because because <laughs> you shook her hand or what have you? You eventually touched this chair, uh, and she's never touched it. Okay, it's it's you know it's secondary. It's right. in that case it's tertiary. But juries chance. hear DNA. One well, but we have to be careful about the chain of evidence, right? How there can be innocent transference of DNA, but what your core of your issue was? Are you concerned about DNA analysis? I think the Center for Forensic Science in Canada has done a, a really great job over the last 10 or 15 years in having quality control and being very neutral. We also have the ability in Canada to have very solid independent analysis of DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very solid. And the Crown does a generally good job of preserving DNA 
to then be provided to defense experts. We're in good shape here with respect to that. But it is the innocence trans innocent transference of DNA that can be misconstrued and then misused at a trial. Right. Okay, so you know about this teardrop case. Absolutely. And there's two this different is trials. Old, this there's, is old stuff. There's two different trials, right? So this is where you get into non-forensic stuff, where you get into academic studies. So let's well, talk, let's talk about for a few minutes because we're running long now. This is a big insult. But let's just talk about where we're talking about non-scientific non expert evidence. Yeah. We're talking about really anecdotal bullshit. Or proven well, science. Well, no. Mm. Oh, give me a break. Well, you know, uh, the sociologist um, <laughs> in me, uh, you know, takes masters of sociology takes takes umbrage at this, but in this particular case, it was a sociologist who did terrible, terrible work. And as it turns out, yeah, because there was a conviction based on his evidence for the prosecution, right. where the prosecutor called him as an expert witness, saying that it was part of their case that the accused got a teardrop tattoo under his eye around the time of the murder. And that a teardrop tattoo indicates a number of things, one of which is, I killed somebody. So it was a murder case, and the guy was convicted. Right. So the, the funny thing is, so the defense obviously... Or not so funny, depending who you are. sad thing. <laughs> yeah. No, well, sorry. The, the irony is the following, which is... <coughs> You know, this expert gets called by the Crown. Defense, in that case, doesn't successfully challenge the evidence. In a later trial, what happens is uh, the defense calls the expert, uh, you know... About the nature of gang oh, activity. He's an expert on gang activity. Correct. And the Crown bothered to actually dig down deep into the guy's research. And managed to basically blow him out of the, yeah. the water. Isn't that crazy? And when the first guy tried to appeal his conviction, the Crown said, well, the defense could have challenged him and they failed to do their job properly, so the conviction yeah. should stand. Well, you, you and I, one of, yes. the first, one of the first cases uh, uh, when I was, you know, started working with you, was a case in which the Crown was seeking to tender an expert, it was a sex assault case, about how, you know, people react and, and so on and so forth. And I won't mention the purported expert. And what I did was immediately go and pull every single, you know, uh, paper, uh, you know, publication that she had. There's some pretty shocking Australia. publications. Uh, well, yeah, we spoke to experts uh, in Australia. Eventually, pay attention to this and say it slowly. This is what we fucking did. Go ahead. So, I remember an expert who who testified in Australia about recovered memories. No, but this is really important. We did this in a case. This yeah. is really important. So, so this this purported expert who was very popular in Australia. Anyway, I went. And I got every single publication she had which when you look at you know an expert cv and they say oh i've got all these publications there's three pages you think oh my god this person's really done a lot then when you actually get them and you drill down you realize that nothing was original research nothing was actually you know peer reviewed nothing was quality it was just fluff it was nothing but that's a research done by students at universities too that are then co-opted by i've come across a number this, of cases this, this was, was not even, even better this was not even that this right? was worse this was i had three days worth of cross-examination 
prepared to go through to demonstrate that she wasn't an expert. She was just an advocate. All she was was an advocate. And we had people from Australia and New Zealand and New Zealand who were willing to offer their time to us for free to testify. Yeah. Because Chris oh, contacted all of them. I started start contacting this is what our defense, firm does, defense okay? counsel there that dealt with reporting And decisions. they were willing to help us for free to testify that that this purported expert was full of bunk. And unfortunately... Can you imagine? Unfortunately, uh, the judge just before even hearing us dismissed her. Uh, so I didn't get... Expert gone. Three days get, worth of a fantastic cross examination. I, I was lost to time. I well, yeah, <laughs> with me it will likely would have bled into five. But um, uh, anyway, so so, but the point is that Crown bothered to do what the defense counsel in the first case should have done, which is pull all of the experts' actual. You know, you have to look and see what they've first first line published. of first line. You know, what the what what. What does everybody do on their resume? They bullshit. <laughs> I, I have a my resume is this big. <laughs> Down in the states, okay. So there was an expert in a, a case where really somebody <laughs> killed her. Uh, she was convicted of killing her ex boyfriend, and the expert that they called for battered woman, you know, syndrome. Her research showed that she she had a seminar called Snow White was a battered woman. Okay, that may be compelling. <laughs> I looked up an expert. In the Bill Cosby case, actually, I don't, I'm not going to take any issues with the Bill Cosby, you know, situation. But, but the expert they called actually compared women to her pug dog. Okay, so here's the, here's the legitimate. It's amazing what you can find. Here's the legitimate takeaway. Here's the legitimate takeaway. Wrongful, wrongful convictions happen in many types of cases. Mm, yeah. Sexual assault. Now we've explored murder, even attempt murder, and other offenses, and where experts are called which is why we hearken back in time to Dr. Charles Smith is, you gotta look at the experts' credentials, their CV, their publications, and drill down. Drill down, We're, you know, this firm has been referred to as diggers. We dig, yeah. we dig, and we dig, and we dig, until we get to- And we to, go through 4,062 pages of messages. We do, but Chris is, you know, did a great job, a magnificent job in contacting people in Australia and New Zealand, they were calling, and they were so, That's so they were fantastic. so incensed. These people were so incensed, so incensed that they wanted to help us for free. Right. Okay. And that's what you got to do. Look at the resumes. Look at the CVs. Assess it. Look at their publications because so many times it's bullshit. But on the topic of wrongful convictions, I'm just going to read out a couple of things and get you guys to quickly comment on them, and then we'll wrap it up. We got it, because I, I, I hear our, 69, our gallery here is telling us we're running long. 69% of wrongful conviction cases included eyewitness misidentification. Oh, eyewitness identification is inherently unreliable. That, that's why in Canada, the, the it is a failure for a judge in a jury um, uh Trial. In a jury trial, not to instruct the jury on the inherent, inherent frailties of eyewitness identification. That was a gouge inquiry. It's like yeah. there's a... Solid. 
And we do a good job of that here. 84% of misidentification cases involve a misidentification by a surviving victim. I think that's kind of similar well, to last trauma, one. there's trauma. There's all sorts of things right. involved. Okay. Uh, around 18% of identification errors involve the inability to identify the individual in at least one procedure. Again, these are all identity issues. So identity is, is actually... Major. A major when, issue. When Chris and I first came together in, in this law firm, we had an interesting murder case where... The identification issue was was the issue, and we got close. Yeah. I still think it was a misidentification, but according to no wrong, differs, no according comment. to wrongly convicted statistics, official misconduct by prosecutors is the cause of wrongful convictions in thirty one percent of murder exonerations. No comment. Maybe, but in Canada, I believe that's much lower now. But you can you can say official misconduct just for a failure to disclose, which can connect. Yeah, could not actually so much be, here in Canada. Yeah, well, you, you said it used to be worse, but it's getting you know. Look, it's, when we're it's talking, really look, I'm anymore. old now. Okay, I'm 55. I'm going on 31 years, and Here's, back. Uh, sorry, I'm old, so I'm, I get I'm to just, talk. I'm just excited about the next way one. back Go when <laughs> disclosure was an issue. We don't have that. I'm excited about that. We don't have that now. Prosecutors do a very good job of working with the defense to disclose information and work with you. You can contact officers in charge and work with them to get what you need. I I really find, I really find, uh, you'll just one sec. No, no, I I had a few murder cases where I sat down with the officer in charge and went through the evidence and what they had, and they opened up the laptop and I went through stuff. And they were very good about it. I have to commend this in Canada. It's been very good to my experience. T- typically, it's not the Crown. It's not the prosecutor who fails in their disclosure obligations in Canada. Typically, they don't get stuff necessarily sent to them by it's the police. Error. By the officer in charge. It's yeah. a logistical error. Right. You yeah. know, so, you and know, sometimes it's not many officers. Look, we, don't pull punches no, in this, we don't pull punches in, the, in this podcast, but the yeah. reality is... I find that yeah. working with prosecutors and, and officers in, in many of the cases... Yeah. Well, defend, they don't want convictions overturned, so they're going to be... No, but I... Yeah. D? They, they also care D, it's it. not that. I find that they are generally completely honest, sincere, and hardworking and want to be honest with us. Yeah. I don't have that problem. It's not them that I have the problem. It's not them that I have the problem with. In many of my cases, it's the complainants. And in many of the murder cases, they've been nothing but professional. Well, and we've won. The dead person doesn't complain very much. No, <laughs> okay. no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm just making. No, I, I'm very I'm proud. stoked to go to the I'm next. I'm very one. proud. Go to With the all due respect, I'm very proud of what we have here in Canada compared yeah. to other jurisdictions. Okay, so I am false, false confessions and investigators. False confessions account for 29 percent of wrongful convictions. How can somebody falsely confess? That's a whole other subject. Oh, That's the next episode. We Holy need a whole sh- episode for that. Okay, well, I'm done. Done. Good night. Are- Just click All your right. glass. We're done. We're over time. Like, next subscribe, subscribe microphone. tweet, and call me a f-ing clown. F-ing you. Don't tell them. And whatever it is. <laughs> Don't tell them what makes you angry. Seriously. No, you're laughing. It doesn't actually make you angry. Go ahead. <laughs> call him a clown yes, as much as you want to. Do yes. I look like I give a f-ing <laughs> Yes, it does. Exactly. Yes. Cheers. Love you guys. Love you. All right. All right. Let's keep on defending. Like, subscribe. No, and more importantly, defend. Let's represent democracy. Let's prevent against wrongful convictions. Let's Let's prevent against wrongful convictions and work as a team to help people when they need us. Your rights 
Cheers. Everybody, oh, else, right. is, everybody else is right, so you're right, too. Okay, we got Done. a lot of jingles. Let's go. Bye. Yeah.